We know the Orioles are in talks with the Chicago White Sox and are certainly interested in Dylan Cease, but the question now becomes, what will it actually cost for the O's to go get the star right-hander? We'll get to that and more on another Mailbag episode coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, December 26th, 2023, and welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are opening up the mailbag. Got five Orioles questions to answer all coming from you, the listeners, here on today's pod. Hope you enjoyed any holiday break that you have gotten. Got a little break from the podcast here, but we are back on a Tuesday. Jumping into Dylan Cease as we got some more reports about what exactly the White Sox are asking for in a Cease trade and how that could pertain to the Orioles as they go through these trade talks. We'll talk a bit about the future of the Orioles' young players in general, but specifically Kyle Stowers and Ryan Mountcastle and Jackson Holiday as well. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. So we'll go into a mailbag episode here on the podcast. Just a couple of pods left before the new year here. We continue on, remember, three days a week throughout the offseason until the Orioles return to Sarasota in February for spring training. In the meantime, make sure to leave a rating and a review wherever you listen. Of course, like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. And bear with me again today. I'd mentioned it on an episode last week or Two weeks ago, it may have been either way, uh, got part two of my root canal earlier today. So the numbness has mostly weared off as I record here on Tuesday afternoon. But uh, if any words sound eh, a little weird there, there's your reason why. But let's jump into the mailbag. And uh, I got one big question to get to and then four others on the mailbag. And the big question comes from Becky via email. Remember, if you want to send in any mailbag questions for future mailbags, doing them almost weekly throughout the offseason, email us lockedonorioles at gmail.com, or you can put them right here in the YouTube comments. But this one comes via email from Becky, who asks, what would the Orioles really have to give up to get Dylan Cease from the White Sox? And this is a good question, because I think on this podcast for me and for a lot of Orioles fans this offseason, the number one target in terms of player acquisition, whether it's a free agent or a trade, if you're being at least somewhat realistic, has been Dylan Cease. We know that the Orioles are not willing to spend you know, over $100 million on a free agent pitcher, and we know they need a starting pitcher. And so if you're looking at the trade market, the best guy out there for the most amount of years with two years of control and a guy who, yeah, had a shaky at times 2023, but before that had been great for the White Sox, that is Dylan Cease. Can they go and get him? And we had some reporting a couple of weeks ago from Bruce Levine of 670 The Score, the radio station in Cincinnati, who had reported on a couple of players he had heard the White Sox were asking for from the Reds in trade talks. It's not only the Orioles who have been chatting with the White Sox. It's been the Dodgers. It's been the Braves. It's been the Reds as well, along with a couple of other teams that have been in talks with Chicago in these Dylan Cease discussions. But we got some more reporting. Jason Williams 
of the Cincinnati Inquirer wrote a story last week where he had even further details on what he was hearing is the actual ask from the White Sox at this point for Dylan Cease in a trade with the Reds. He said that the White Sox were looking for five prospects from the Reds in the deal. And now when I talk about kind of the ratings of these guys and what their future value ratings are, I'm going off of mostly prospects live. Now I am, as you all probably know, a fan graphs guy, but not a lot of fan graphs is updated at this point. And some of their team lists are even not since February or March. They aren't since the preseason list in 2023 prospects live, which I also very much like their prospect coverage, more updated, done some September and October lists. So more updated here. So here are the reported four players that they've asked for. Now, in the report from Williams of the Cincinnati Inquirer, he said they're looking for five players total, and he didn't know who that fifth player would be, but he had four names putting together with his reporting and Bruce Levine's reporting. Number one is Rhett Lauder. He was the ninth overall pick in the 2023 draft. Right-handed pitcher out of Wake Forest was the ace of that Wake Forest staff that made it all the way to the College World Series Finals. Has some electric stuff. He's the number two prospect in the red system. He's a 55 future value on the 20 to 80 scale. And he is a top 100 prospect guy, basically on every top 100 list. This is a potentially future top of the rotation pitcher that the Reds have in their system. They also have asked for Chase Petty, reportedly. Now, Chase Petty is an interesting guy, right-handed pitcher, 50 future value, who was a first-round pick a couple of years ago of the Twins, then was traded over to the Reds in a previous deal. Petty is the number four-ranked prospect in the Red system. Remember, Cincinnati has a good system. It's not quite the Orioles, but it's a very, very good minor league system. Consensus top 10 in baseball, just as the O's are. Petty throws 102. He came out of high school. He's got some command concerns. He's still a few years away from the big leagues, but he is also a top 100 prospect, more so on the the back end of the list most places. They also asked for another right-handed pitcher in Connor Phillips, 45 future value, the number five prospect in the red system. Pretty much a guy who was in AAA last year and looks to be MLB ready as a starting pitcher at some point in 2024. So if he's not traded, he will probably help out the Reds rotation this season. And he's another fringe top 100 guy. Some lists have him at the bottom. Some lists have him just outside. And that's same with the next guy that they have reportedly asked for. That is infielder Edwin Arroyo, 45 future value infielder, who is the number six prospect in the red system, according to Prospects Live. He's only 20 years old, is also you know a few years away from the big leagues, and is also a fringe top 100 prospect, but a guy who... In a couple of years, people think it'd be a really impact major leaguer. And then there was not a name put to that fifth player, but Jason Williams of the Cincinnati Inquirer reporting that they were looking for one more hitter in the deal to make it five prospects. So I looked at that list and I said, well, what does that take for the Orioles, right? How do you match up those four to five players with what Baltimore would be willing to give up to get two years of control of Dylan Cease? Now, here's the first issue. The Orioles do not have that kind of top-line pitching in their system that the Reds do. Remember, the report is the White Sox have asked for four of the Reds' top six prospects. And three of those guys, number two, number four, number five, are right-handed pitchers. The Orioles do not have that at the top of their system. Quite frankly, if I were to rank out the Orioles' top six prospects right now, I wouldn't name any pitchers. I think they would all be position players if you look at the O system. So that's how things differ right now. Now, we don't know, at least it wasn't in the reporting, if the White Sox are specifically just looking for mostly pitching in these deals 
or if it's just because the red system is so top heavy with pitching that they're more so looking for top talent and that's what they asked for because it's specifically the reds but if they are looking for top pitching that's going to be an issue for the orioles trying to make this deal because they just don't have that kind of pitching you're looking at the top of their system in terms of pitchers you've got Cade Povich, you've got Chase McDermott, and you've got last year's second-round pick, Jackson Baumeister. Those are not, at this point, really top 100 guys. We've seen Cade Povich show up in one top 100 list. Otherwise, they're not there yet. Now, those are guys who, you know, either right now or soon will see themselves in the top 10 in Orioles list, but it might take them a little while to be consensus top 100 pitchers, whereas Rhett Lauder, Chase Petty, even Connor Phillips, more people agree some of the top pitching prospects in baseball those out of the red system. So how would the Orioles try to flip it on its head and make it an equal return? I think, first of all, I think they'd have to include both Cade Povich and D.L. Hall in this deal. In Povich, you get someone who Kylie McDaniel of ESPN ranked in his top 60 in his top 100 prospects last offseason, a guy who did have some struggles this year, but still has the future value and the stuff to be a good starting pitcher at the big league level. And then you also put in D.L. Hall because although he's certainly trending towards being a big league reliever, at least it'll be a high leverage, potentially closer type guy as, as good as he looked last year out of the bullpen, there's still a chance he could be a starter, right? He's still 24 years old. I think the Orioles are still going to give him a chance to start in spring training in Sarasota in February. And he was a guy who had a 55 future value on him when he was a prospect. That's a guy that the White Sox might want. And to be honest with you, if they're really looking for pitching they're probably calling about Chase McDermott as well because he had such a better season than Cade Povich did in AAA. I think a lot of people would rank him now above Povich in terms of pitching in the Orioles system. So you're looking at those guys. I would say Hall, Povich, and then you're trying to make up for your lack of high-level pitching with probably better position player prospects. So maybe you're giving up Colton Kowser because, yes, he's a 55 future value, but you have to make up for the fact that you don't have the pitching to give up. And, you know, you're probably throwing in Joey Ortiz because the White Sox are certainly looking for a shortstop and he is big league ready. And so I think an equal package would be D.L. Hall, Colton Kowser, Cade Povich, Chase McDermott, and Joey Ortiz. That is quite a haul that the Orioles would have to give up for two years of Dylan C's. Now, would it be worth it? You could argue potentially. But here's the other thing. That report is just a report, and that potential ask is also just an initial ask from the White Sox to the Reds. When you're bargaining, you're going to go in asking for the tippy top of what you think your player would be worth in trade. I don't think if Dylan Cease gets dealt this offseason, he will command in the actual trade all those pitchers from the Reds or those five players I just mentioned from the Orioles. But it could take Kowser. Povich, Ortiz, plus one. Are the Orioles willing to give that up? I think they should be. And that plus one is probably someone lower in the system, not like a another top 10 guy. But that's going to be the cost for Dylan Cease. It's not going to be as high as this ask in this report, but it's going to be a lot. And that's what you have to realize. You got to give up a lot to get good players. And if the White Sox are specifically looking for high-level pitching, either one out of two things is going to happen to the Orioles. They're going to be priced out or they're going to have to give up better position players in a trade to make up for the fact that they don't have that pitching that Chicago is looking for, we will see if that becomes an issue here 
as the O's go through these trade talks with the White Sox. We got four more questions to get to here on a mailbag episode. Coming up next, we'll talk a little bit about Kyle Stowers and what his future is with the O's. And then in general, the Orioles, what it looks like if John Angelos remains the owner of this team. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. What a win that was on Monday night for the Ravens. I mean, they have cemented themselves as the best team in the NFL with two weeks remaining in the regular season. And you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we're back here on a mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Hope you enjoyed a long holiday weekend. And now back into the pod. Question number two comes from Coleman on YouTube who asks, does Kyle Stowers have an opening day roster shot with the Orioles or has he been passed in this system? I would say to kind of roundabout answer this question, he hasn't been at least forgotten about, right? Like he is still on the Orioles 40-man roster. And while he didn't play much of a factor last year for the O's after coming up and spending most of the second half of the season with the Orioles in 2022, yeah, he never became an everyday player down the stretch, but he was certainly a big part of that team. It didn't really happen this year. He was on the opening day roster this season, but he struggled early. He got injured. He went down. He suffered multiple weird injuries, got hit by a pitch, missed some time, had some other things going on. And there were openings there, right? Like there were times where Mullins, and Hicks were injured at the same time, where Kowser came up, was struggling, went back down, where Austin Hayes went into a bit of a slump in the second half. Like, there were openings, if Stowers was healthy and producing, for him to come back up to the bigs at some point later last year with the Orioles. It just, it didn't happen. It didn't transpire for him. Now, he still put up solid numbers in AAA when he was on the field, and they have still kept him on this 40-man roster. They still see some value in him. Remember, him and Taron Vavra were kind of, neck and neck in terms of, you know, coming up to the O's and being a part of this team. And Vavra spent more time in the big leagues this year than Stowers did. However, Vavra has current now, he's still in the system, but he was outrighted off the 40-man. Stowers still holds that 40-man spot, which tells me that the Orioles still see more value in Kyle Stowers than in Taron Vavra. The issue is, do they see more value in Stowers than a lot of the other outfield prospects? And that is what I worry about right here. I think Stowers could be included as like a sweetener in a trade to go get some big league pitching if another team wants to take a chance on him. I mean, he is major league ready. But if not, I don't know if he's like top of the list for the O's to DFA right now. I think he still has a, a solid hold on his 40-man roster spot. But it doesn't look great for him when you look at the outfield depth chart. There are seven other outfielders currently on the Orioles' 40-man roster, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, Heston Kerstad, Colton Kowser, Sam Hilliard, and Ryan McKenna. You could make an argument right now that Stowers is number eight of eight on that outfield depth chart. Now, could you argue that he's above McKenna and above Hilliard? Absolutely. Could you argue that he's above Kowser right now? Maybe if you really stretched because Kowser had the issues at the big league level, but Kowser is still a much, 
much higher rated prospect than Stowers ever was, and I think is a more talented player. And it's same with Heston Kerstad as well, except Kerstad had a good first stint in the big leagues. So I'd say definitively, Hayes, Mullen, Santander, Kerstad, Kowser are all ahead of Stowers. And it is really tough to carry six outfielders on your roster. So if the O's say, hey, all five of these guys are going to be in the big leagues, where's your spot for Stowers? Even if they say, hey, you know what? Colton Kowser more needs some more AAA seasoning. Or even if they say, Heston Kerstad needs some more AAA seasoning. I would think they would take a guy like Sam Hilliard, who they claimed off waivers earlier this offseason, or a guy like Ryan McKenna as the fifth outfielder on the roster over Kyle Stowers because those two guys are better defenders and can play a good center field. Kyle Stowers is simply a corner outfielder. He is not, to me, a center fielder, and that gives those two guys who are more big league veterans, especially Hilliard, a spot over Stowers. To me, the only way Kyle Stowers would get onto the opening day roster is if there was like a serious injury, right? And and that's kind of always the caveat when you're saying, well, how does this guy get on the roster? Well, if there's an injury, right? The other thing would be if the Orioles decide in spring training that both Kowser and Kerstad need some more AAA seasoning and they want to start both of them in Norfolk, they look at the rest of the roster and they say, you know what? We're going to keep one of Hilliard or McKenna to be the fifth outfielder, the defensive replacement, the pinch runner guy that Brandon Hyde likes to have on his team. But they decide, I don't think we need both of them because we don't think either of them will give enough of an offensive contribution. And then Stowers performs well enough and is healthy enough in Sarasota to win the other outfield spot on the roster if they do keep the five outfielders. And of course, that would include the Orioles not bringing in another outside outfielder which Michael Elias has hinted to, he's maybe still looking at a right-handed hitting outfield bat to add to this team this offseason. That is a lot of things you'd have to check off the checklist to get Stowers on the opening day roster. It's still a possibility, right? It's not impossible. But I do think a lot of these guys have passed him by. And now what he has to worry about is the Judd Fabians and the Dylan Beavers of the world who are up in A now. And Stowers is still ahead of them, certainly on the big league depth chart. But if those guys have big 2024s and Stowers just kind of eh, spends most of the year in AAA, if those guys pass him, then it's pretty much over for Kyle Stowers. At this point, he still has a chance. But if those guys pass him, you're probably looking at the Orioles moving on from Stowers at some point. So again, he'd need a lot of breaks to go his way to be on that opening day roster. Third question comes from Brett on YouTube who asks, with John Angelos being cheap, we all know that's the case, what happens to this Orioles roster over the next few years? And I think a lot of this question goes into, and this is a bigger question, we could do an entire 30-minute episode on this, but to keep it quick, what this question dives into is, are they going to keep guys? Do they extend guys? Is there roster churn? What happens? I think the best short answer to this question is, look at what the Tampa Bay Rays do. Now, they extend a few of their guys, and the Orioles haven't done that yet, right? The the Rays extended Wander Franco. Now, there's a completely separate baseball situation why he is not playing and hopefully will never play again, to be honest. But they extended guys like, you know, team-friendly extensions. Even Glassnow got one. Pete Fairbanks got one. Yandy Diaz got one. Brandon Lau got one. Like, these guys got extensions that are good for the team and, and somewhat, in some cases, good for the player. The Orioles haven't even done that, right? They haven't given out the big ones to Gunner and Adley and others. They haven't even given out the team-friendly ones, like to guys like Mullins. And, you know, maybe they want to keep around Hayes for a couple more years. Or maybe they want to, you know, keep around a John Means. Or, you know, Dean Kramer maybe gets a, you know, whatever it may be. Kyle Bradish, they haven't done any of those. Now, the Rays have done that a little bit, so hopefully the O's will. But otherwise, 
they're mostly trading guys away when, especially the guys that they aren't able to side to those team-friendly extensions, trade them away when they get late in their arbitration years, close to free agency, and, and basically get too expensive. So once guys get to the point where they have, you know, about two years of team control left, they're into ARB 2 and ARB 3 before they hit free agency, if the Orioles are still running like this under John Angelos, they're going to start to look to trade those guys because the guys that are good are going to get way too expensive for the Orioles to pay, I would think. Now, on the flip side of that, they're going to try to keep drafting and developing talent so they can backfill these guys just as the Rays have done year after year. But at some point, you go through dips. We've seen it happen to the Rays multiple times over the past decade or so. They go through dips because it's just not sustainable every year to trade away every player when they get to ARB 2 and ARB 3. It's just you can't do it, and you can't be good every year. You have to shell out some money to stay good and competitive every single season. And the Rays, honestly, operate on razor-thin margins, and they do the best job of it. There's no saying the Orioles would even be as good as the Rays are at doing exactly that. So I would definitely worry about them going that route, but but that's what I would see them doing if John Angelos just continues to, to be in charge of this team, unfortunately. That's why I feel it's so important that th- this team is sold at some point. Two more questions to get to on a mailbag episode of the pod, talking about Ryan Mountcastle, talking about Jackson Holiday, and how they would potentially fit into trades. That's coming up next to finish off this mailbag episode. So we're back here on a mailbag edition of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Two more questions to get to here on a Tuesday episode. And the question number four of the day also comes from Coleman on YouTube who asked, could Ryan Mountcastle be part of a trade for a starting pitcher this offseason? I would say it's certainly possible, right? Ryan Mountcastle is in ARB1 this offseason, which means he starts to, to make a, a little bit more money, you know, two, three, four, five million dollars. He'll get it somewhere around that this offseason. It'll only go up for the next two years. He is a free agent after 2026, so he's got three years of control left, two after the 2024 season. And, you know, he's a good hitter, but he's basically a first-base DH. At this point, he did not play any other positions defensively than first base, despite the fact that he was drafted as a shortstop out of high school in 2015, and the Orioles basically tried him at every position but catcher throughout the minors and in the majors as well, and just never worked out first base. He seems to be pretty comfortable and confident over there, but that stunts your value when you are a right-handed hitting first baseman slash DH. Now, he's a good hitter with good peripherals as well, but still, he's going to get expensive when he gets into ARB 2 and ARB 3 next offseason and the offseason after that. And the Orioles are probably going to get to a point potentially where they say, you know, with this kind of limited defensive guy who's not as versatile as we like our players to be, and, you know, it's it's kind of easy to find first base DH right-handed hitters. We don't want to pay Ryan Mountcastle 11, 12, 13 million dollars to be a first base DH. We've got prospect so-and-so who is in AAA and is hitting well and is a much cheaper version. And, and maybe he's a half tick, you know, worse than Ryan Mountcastle. But in a year or two, he'll be just as good and we'll just go with that guy. And we'll try and get some value on the trade market for Ryan Mountcastle to get more controllable younger pieces. That's what the Rays do. And I could see the O's doing that. Now, do I see them doing it this offseason? I don't, just because he's still very cheap and a very big part of this lineup. And I don't think he's at his highest trade value right now because he missed so much time with the vertigo issue in 2023. I think other teams would have serious questions about that and you know what's sustainable for Ryan Mountcastle. And so I think it would have to be after a more consistent season. But we get to this point next offseason, right? He's only got two years of control left. He's getting more expensive in ARB 2. I could certainly see it. It's possible this offseason, not likely. It gets much more likely, though, 
a year from now. And our final question comes from Mark on YouTube who asks, would you trade Jackson Holiday for Paul Skeens straight up? Mark, I absolutely would not. And I'm not sure many people would, to be honest. I get that Paul Skeens was this famous prospect, right? He was top pick in the draft this year. You know, he's got all the tools on the mound, throws over 100, leading LSU to the title this season. But here's the thing. Jackson Holiday is the number one ranked prospect in all of baseball. He is already and is going to be a special, special talent. And he is very close to the big leagues. He, I mean, if he's not on the opening day roster, at some point in the first half of 2024, I think we all expect Jackson Holiday is going to be in Baltimore. He's going to help an Orioles team this year that is trying to win the World Series and is trying to win the World Series for at least the next six years when they have Holiday under team control. Jackson Holiday is 20 years old. Paul Skeens is 21. Paul Skeens is like a year and a half older than Jackson Holiday. He's also, although I think he's fairly close to the big leagues, and I think if the Pirates are, let's say, competitive next year, I could certainly see Paul Skeens being in the big leagues in the second half of the season, if not earlier, because he's just so advanced as a pitcher. But Holiday's still closer to the big leagues, still younger, and here's the thing. Pitchers, especially pitched in college and throw over 100 miles an hour, at some point, at some point in the big leagues, you have to think, Paul Skeens is going to get Tommy John surgery and it's going to miss more than a year. There is much more injury risk with pitchers than there is with hitters. And if you're saying, oh, would you trade Colton Cowser straight up for Paul Skeens? Well, that's a conversation I'd have because although Cowser's a hitter and has a high ceiling, Paul Skeens can help the Orioles right now on the mound, a place where they need more help than in the outfield. But with Jackson Holiday. He could be a generational prospect who leads this Orioles team to championships and all-star games, whatever it may be, for years to come. And although Paul Skeens is great, you know, there's some questions about the fastball data and, and how good it really is. Is it just kind of too straight, even though it's got good velocity? Jackson Holly's is just going to be too special. I get that Paul Skeens could be really good. He could also have injury issues and flame out and not be the pitcher you think. You know, there's a lot of people who cover prospects and talk about prospects that say, and this is a little extreme for me, but they say there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. And I think some of what goes into that thinking is they're so volatile, they can change their stuff so much, they can get injured so easily, and also a guy could be in the big leagues this year and two years ago could have been in double A and could be a completely different pitcher because there's so much more that happens development-wise, changing pitches, changing your stuff, even when you get to the big leagues, that it's really hard to project out pitching prospects. It's much easier to see when a position player prospect is going to be this good. Not only is Jackson Holiday a safer bet, I think he's also a higher ceiling. That combination means no way am I trading Jackson Holiday for anything, let alone Paul Skeens straight up. Those are some great questions we got today on the mailbag. Again, if you have further mailbag questions, want to get them in for a future mailbag episode, you can email us, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. Also, put them in the YouTube comments, like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. Sparingly on Twitter right now, we are at Locked on Orioles, but I'm sparingly on there for the moment. So again, email, best way to get in contact with me. Anything you want to say, ask about the show, or send in mailbag questions, LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. And also, in the YouTube comments right here. We will be back with two more episodes later this week. We're going to continue to kind of wrap up our player season review series, talked about the seasons 
of Ramona Rios and Jorge Mateo on last Thursday's episode. Make sure to go and check that one out. Kind of pose the question, if the Orioles only have space for one of those guys, Arias and Mateo on the roster, who would you take? Really good conversation going on over there. And then we'll also continue to take a look at the news and notes, the hot stove, because the holiday is over and already some signings, some trades starting to happen even today. So hopefully the Orioles kind of revving back up here as we get close to the new year and uh, start to make some moves that we can get to on the podcast later this week. Next couple of weeks on the pod, can't promise exactly what day's episodes will come out. I will tell you, we will have at the very least three episodes per week no matter what, but I can't quite commit to a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or an exact schedule. A couple different things with the holiday, moving around. I'm actually moving in a couple of weeks. I'm staying in Baltimore, but I am moving. So got a lot of different parts kind of flying different directions because of that. You know, it might not be the most consistent, hey, Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. There might be some Tuesday, some Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, whatever it may be. Hang with me. Know that there will be three episodes per week right here on the podcast, and we'll be back later this week for another pod. But until then, I am Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.